You're listening to Talcot from the Satori Lab, the podcast for people working to create excellent public services. I'm Ben Proctor. Here at the Satori Lab, we're always interested in better ways for people to organise themselves, make decisions and work together. The community that has formed around liberating structures is interested in all of these issues as well. So Esko Rainer Cannon sat down with two members of the Liberating Structures community to find out more. We started off by asking them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Sharon and I work for DXW as a Transformation Manager and what I try to do is help people to work together better. Hi, I'm Lisa Gill. Uh, I work with teams and organisations that are interested in being decentralised and self-managing. I also have a podcast of my own called Leadamorphosis and I interview people about the future of work and new ways of working and things like that. And I also work with a company in Sweden called Tough Leadership Training. Um, would one of you like to kind of di- explain what liberating structures is or are? I'm happy to do that. Um, so liberating structures are interaction patterns and they make it possible for us to work together. Um, and the, the book says that they uh, include and unleash everyone. So it's it's all the, the everyday interactions that we have, meetings and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's just a way of getting people to, to uh, work together in a group. Excellent. And Lisa, you come from slightly different part of the world. Like, is, are there other bits about the definition that uh, kind of ring true in your communities? Yeah, I think that a lot of my work is helping people unlearn patterns like uh, habits of old ways of working from a sort of industrial mechanistic paradigm of work. Um, so what I like about liberating structures is that most of us, our entire lives, we've all been using these what are called like microstructures, which are things like how who's talking, how long are they talking for, what's the invitation, things like that. And we don't even realize we're doing them. Uh, and so liberating structures is like a, there's sort of like um, interaction scripts, which means that speaking is distributed, people get much more of an equal say, and they get, they're much more active in their partic- participation, and they tend to be much more purposeful. Um, so I think it's a, it, for me, it's like a way of learning how to collaborate in a different way together in a way that's more creative and taps into the collective intelligence of a group. I really like that the breaking down old patterns that don't work, and, and Sharon and I are quite involved in the public services, and um, I think also in the private sector, we've got this mantra of we need to stop doing things the industrial way and we need to do things like the connected or participatory or uh, whatever label you want to put it way. And main challenge in that is breaking old patterns and adopting new ones. So that's really interesting to me. How, how did you both come across liberating structures? It's relatively new, I think. So where, where did you meet it? How did you meet it? I um, found the book in 2015, and uh, annoyingly, I can't remember where, but it was probably a, a big bookstore online algorithm that, rem- that told me I bought Gamestorming, so I should buy this book, I think. Um, and for a, a couple of years, I did one of the structures, which is called 1241. Um, it's a bit of a foundational structure, and it's used in a lot of the other ones, but it's really, really effective for lots of great reasons. Um, and then in January 2018, um, a colleague started a meetup group in London and I started getting involved in that and then from there we've you know it's just expanded 
um, the, the you know in, in such an amazing way. The way that we work with with people, um, particularly in the public sector, I've used the structures um, in training courses and uh, personally and uh, with other groups. And I started a meetup group in Leeds so that I could do it without having to to go to London. And it's just been uh, fantastic. It's opened up loads of opportunities. Lisa, you're coming at us from Barcelona. So, um, uh, how how did it land in Barcelona then? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I came across them. I think in 2015 as well, when I before I moved to Barcelona. So I was still in the UK then, and I went to a uh, an open space event in London called Why Aren't Organizations Shifting? And um, I was in a discussion group, and this guy was talking about how he was working inside a, a large corporate organization. And he kept using this, these two words, liberating structures. He said, I've, I've been transforming the organization from the inside out. I've been like empowering people at, 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 in sort of the middle of the organization to feel more instrumental in the change that's going on. So I was really intrigued, like, what are these liberating structures? That sounds so cool. And you're like helping people, you know, be active participants in change instead of sort of like, you know, victims of change or whatever. And then uh, a friend of mine, Dunia Roberta, who's this very sort of passionate, enthusiastic Spanish woman, invited me and a group of people to Lisbon in January 2016 to explore uh, setting up a company that would buy and transform other organizations. So she and I had read Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Leloux. We were very excited about that. And she said, why don't you try out some of those liberating structures in the group to help us get going? So that was the first time I tried them out. And then the second time, I think, was with a group of HR professionals in the public sector, actually, in a workshop in the UK. And it was really cool to see the energy in the workshop go from sort of skeptical and a bit like, uh, you know, to by the end of it, one HR director saying, wow, what I realize is that we're asking people in the organization to do certain things and change in a certain way. And we have to model that in HR first. And that was that as a result of doing TRIZ, which is one of my favorite liberating structures, which is really fun and kind of high energy. And um, so I really started to get the bug then of like, this is a really good sort of toolkit to help people think differently. So my next question is, um, like, is, is it really new? Um, and the reason I ask is around 2013 or 2012, I guess, um, I was running workshops in the public sector and we, we used game storming quite a lot. And, and the idea was similar. Can we introduce some patterns that kind of break up the old ways of doing things? Um, and at that time, we weren't aware of liberating structures. Well, what, what's kind of really new about liberating structures? Or is it like just a, a different synthesis? Or is there some particular principles in the curation? Or have the, have the activities been invented specifically for this? Yeah, so there's, um, there, there are um, 33 liberating structures in the book. Um, and there are probably about 150 newer ones that are being uh, looked at at the moment and determined whether they can be brought into the canon. Um, and some of those are original things, but a lot of them come from similar origins as a lot of the things like game storming. So if you take, for example, the anti-problem, it's very similar to Triz, um, and they probably come from very similar sources, but they're not, uh, it, it, they're not the same thing precisely. Um, uh, what I like about liberating structures, particularly with the book and the website, is that the, um, the structures that are not originals, there is credit given to where they've come from. Um, so I think that, that there's a lot of kind of branches of things. And so, for example, one, two, for all, when I did that uh, with the group 
someone said, oh, that's like pyramid something or other. I can't remember what they called it. Um, and there are a lot of those things. What I like about liberated structures is that they have these design elements, which is what Lisa was talking about, about the, and everything does. So, so it doesn't matter whether we're explicit about it, um, but everything has some kind of an invitation, some kind of way that the space is arranged and any materials that you need, how participation is distributed, how groups are configured, and a sequence of time and sorry of of, um, of steps and time allocation. Um, so, for example, if you were presenting, then the invitation will is come and listen to me, a bit like we're doing now. Um, how the space is configured. If you're at a presentation, you're sitting probably in rows with someone standing on a stage or right in front of you. Um, the participation is distributed, I'm going to do most of the talking and then you might have an opportunity to ask me a couple of questions at the end. Um, and then um, the sequence of steps, I'm going to talk and you're going to listen and then I might say, has anyone got any questions? Um, so everything has these design elements, but we're not necessarily explicit about them. With the liberating structures, we are, um, and the bias is towards everyone being involved as opposed to a few people. So we're, we're controlling different things. With a presentation, I'm controlling... Um, the amount that I'm, I'm talking, I'm the expert, I'm talking and you're listening. Um, so often the things like that, like that uh, participation is quite tightly controlled. Whereas with the liberating structures, what we're controlling are how the groups are configured. So we're trying to get everybody involved. So probably quite small groups. Um, and then a sequence of, of steps and time allocation. So time boxing things and being quite explicit about the steps rather than um, just allowing people to talk without end. Um, and so that's that's where the difference is. So you've got this kind of DNA um, in the way that we work. And there's also a set of principles, which I think are very, very helpful. So those for me are the, the, the really important things about, about liberating structures. And then what I've found um, since I've been involved with them and since I've been involved with calls and Seattle is that there's just an amazing community of people. So there's a Slack group. And so we spend time on the Slack group. You can get help. Um, and I think that's really the difference for me from other other methods. I think something I'd add as well is that um, many of the, or so, at least some of the liberating structures, they aren't anything new. Um, but I think what makes them really useful is the way that they've been curated. So as Sharon says, they're, they're, they're designed to be really viral and accessible. You don't have to be a facilitator to do them. So there's also a free app um, and often when I mention liberating structures to person and they've, uh, to a person and it's the first time they're hearing about them, I'll just show them the app and say, look, here you go. Here's one, two for all. Here are the, the sequence of steps. Here's some tips and traps. Here's what the purpose is. And they go, oh, wow, yeah, this is really easy. This is great. Look, they're all curated here in categories and purposes and stuff. This is really simple. I could pick this up and go and run this in my next meeting and start playing with it. So um, I think that's what makes them so... Um, valuable and so important and why all of these communities are springing up because anyone can start using them and, and changing the way that people interact in their organizations. I think viral is a really good word actually and when I've been running the meetup group and, and I've done a few talks as well so I've done a few half an hour sessions at meetup groups and what I do generally is really briefly introduce liberating structures and then run something like one two four and then explain what's going on and explain the, the design elements and then do something else um and quite a few times people have come to the meetup group after that and they said oh i was at the thing you did at this place um and i've i went back to my office and i did one two for all and we did this and and it was really successful and so and so many times i've heard stories 
where people have picked up something that we've done in a meetup group. So I think it is really easy and you can pick up the book, the website or the app um, and do something. Um, but I think, or the deck of cards, thank you, yeah. Um, but it's, if, if someone sees it, um, I think they're much more likely to go and do it. And then they come back again and say, oh, I've done that one, two, four loads of times and now I want something new. So either they've decided that they want to do more or people in their office are going, not that again. <laughs> so um, that works and that works really well. So no end of time. So one of the things I'm going to do actually is um, interview some of those people who have said to me, um, you know, I went away and did this thing and, and find out how that worked so that we can again spread those good news stories. So that what seems quite key and as different to maybe game storming is because they've got the book and they've got the website, but it's the community that's built up around it. And you've both recently been to Seattle to the Global Gathering, I think it was called. Uh, can you tell us, um, our uh, listeners, a little bit about uh, what that was about? How was it? What did you learn? Um, uh, yeah, give us a little like your insider's lowdown on the Global Gathering in Seattle. Uh, I went to the, there was a two day um, intensive before the global gathering. And I, I thought if I'm going to Seattle anyway, then uh, I might go to that as well, because I'd never done any formal quote unquote training in liberating structures before. So that was really fun to go to the, the two day intensive before the global gathering as well. And, and sort of see if, I, if there were four I think different facilitators and it was really interesting to see the different styles that they brought. And I realized that I was talking an awful lot when I was doing, when I was leading liberating structures and you can say a lot less. <laughs> uh, and then the global gathering itself was, uh, I think about 300 people coming from all over the world that were, um, some were complete beginners to liberating structures. Others had been, um, practicing them for a long time and using them in lots of different groups. Some were using them in a virtual setting, in all kinds of different communities, in education, in organizations. Um, so it was really interesting to meet all the different people that were curious about them and experimenting with them and to try some of the new ones, the ones in development, some of the riffs and how you can string them together and, um, you know, to, to spend some time with Keith and Henry, the sort of developers as well. It was really fun. Uh, so the the community, like, what's what's the community like? I guess because they're ground or buy into this set of principles. There's, it's going you walk into a room with a bunch of people that you feel you've got some commonalities, even if you don't know them. So a lot of people um, who initially started to um, to use these were in healthcare. Um, so there's a lot. There were a lot of people there from a healthcare background, um, and um, but, but a real variety of, of organisations and types of organisations. Um, and from all over the world as well, there were a couple of people from New Zealand, there was someone from Japan, uh, lots of people from America. At one point we did um, a, a, a physical thing where we, we kind of stood in the room and tried to map out where we were. And the American people were all over the room. And there were a couple of people in the corner who were from Japan and, and New Zealand. And then Europe was kind of out the door so. <laughs> there wasn't too many of us, but there were there were a few. Um, so that was great fun. Um, and there were um, there was probably about twelve people from Europe, something like that. Lisa, would you agree? That's a yeah, a few yeah, that's about about the number. Um, so mostly people from uh, Germany, uh, the Netherlands, 
um, and Lisa Barcelona and, and, and four of us from the UK. Yeah, and uh, so that's really interesting that the bulk seems to be America. It's just emergent outside of uh, North America, maybe. And it's um, uh, it started in the health sector and there's a lot of public sector interest, but it doesn't seem like necessarily it's broken into private sector practice so much. Uh, but Lisa, you actually uh, in Seattle uh, on your lovely podcast got to interview um, Henry and Keith. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And did you find any kind of gems? We will link to your amazing podcast. I'm a total fan um, uh, in our notes here. Um, but give us the goss, you know, like, or what did you get <laughs> onto the roof tape? <laughs> yeah, well, I interviewed them uh, before Seattle, actually, before I even knew I was going to Seattle. I think I might have interviewed them before Christmas, um, but it, it took a while to, there was a bit of a backlog of episodes to edit. And when I asked them about, because my interest, of course, is like, you know, the future of work and reinventing organizations and teal and self-management and all of these other things. And I asked them what they thought of all of that. And they said, yeah, that's, it's really interesting to watch all of that happen. But for us, you know, when we read Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Laloux, the big question we had was like, great, but how do you do that? Where do you get started? And so they very much see liberating structures as the how, whatever sort of way that you want to reinvent your organization. It's a way of transformation through habits. I think looking at the the, you know, the day-to-day -day interactions we have in meetings, changing the way that we relate to each other and interact with each other. So I, I found that quite inspiring. Like, I think that's what I've really liked about playing around with them is the practical nature, the ability to shift things in incrementally, but quite fast because, you know, as, as we talked about before, if it becomes viral, it can spread very quickly and it becomes exponential. That's really cool because, you know, this uh, we're all binning the idea of industrial way of working and we're trying to find these more uh, complexity aware um, and uh, kind of like ideas that require holism and stuff. And a lot of people are trotting their particular theory out, but we're a bit thin on the ground on practically applicable techniques to get there. I also have to say that what you said triggered me a little bit in a positive way because um, I didn't know that, um, uh, is it uh, Henry lives in Grasse and I grew up in Vence, which is just down the road from there. <laughs> so I'm starting to fantasize about um, uh, we're going to have some liberating structures field trip to the south of France, which is, Yay. I guess, like halfway <laughs> between all of us now. Um, okay, cool. Uh, coming to towards the um, uh, end of our little session together, um, what's your favorite liberating structure and why? Start with yeah. Oh, okay, oh, Sharon. <laughs> um, so uh, you you said you know which one Lisa's is because she said it was Tris, but but our minds always change. I'm sure you're the same as I am. You know, I'll say that's my favourite, and then later on I'll go, no, no, this is my favourite. Um, so um, I can, straight off the bat, I can think of two that I I think are fantastic. Um, so the first one is one two four all, um, and one two four all is great because. Um, it invites people to think by themselves for a minute and that gives people who don't want to just speak um, before they, they have thought some time. Um, then they get into a two and they discuss their idea, which means that they've got a nice safe small group in case it's not an idea that they're very confident about. So they're much, they're much more prepared to try an idea out that they might not speak, be prepared to speak to the whole group about. 
Um, and then they get into a Ford, so two twos come together. And you can then raise the question up a little bit and say, what were the patterns you saw or something like that? You don't need to then regurgitate the whole conversation and then feed back to the entire group. So it means that you've got lots of safety um, inherent in that. And also, if you've got a person who's dominating the group, they're going to dominate a smaller group for a while and then you can mix those groups up. So that's really, really helpful for all of that. So I love one, two, four. Um, and as I said earlier, it's, it's a foundational structure of a lot of the others. Um, and the second one is Troika Consulting. So um, I've seen so many um, times, you know, when, I, when I've tried this with people um, and, and you, have, you have three people in a group and each of them gets an opportunity to ask a question um, or to ask for some help or, or something like that. Um, and then what happens is that they get a, a couple of minutes to explain their challenge um, then the other people get a couple of minutes to ask for clarification. Um, and then that person turns their back. And I know that I remember that we did an innovation session, ESCO, um, some time ago. And that was one of the things that you did as well. So when you um, you have a problem statement and then you turn your back and then the other people talk about that. And in fact, in your example, they were asking questions um, and you could do it that way. Or you could have those people talking um, and talking about what they might do. Um, and so, um, and then, so each person would get the chance to do that. Um, and so frequently I've heard someone at the end of that say, I can't believe how great the answers to that were when you're complete strangers and you have, you know, as far as I was concerned, no idea about the challenge that I have. So that's just fantastic. Yeah, that, that pattern sometimes called um, collaborative questioning, that way you can get somebody to offer their pitch, turn around and then take the feedback without possibility of response. So um, I'm quite new into the liberating structures world, but I'd like to propose it as my first pattern to the community, uh, like rename it how you want, but it's a really good one and I think it fits. Um, right, uh, yeah, Lisa, uh, do you, what's your favorite? And you can you can have two if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do have a soft spot for Triz, just because I think it, um, it always sort of shifts the energy in, in the room from even if a team's working really well, um, they, they sort of get a, an insight into what are some of our blind spots or what are some of the things that we're doing that are counterproductive in relationship to what our goal is. How uh, does it work? How does TRIZ work? So TRIZ works that you have kind of three rounds. So you, first of all, you identify something that you don't want. So if it was a healthcare example, it might be how could we um, how could we like kill all of our patients or something like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so you start with something undesirable and then you write down in, in small groups a sort of to-do list. What are the things that you would do if you wanted to create a system that would produce that outcome? So you might say like, uh, you know, don't wash your hands or like uh, operate when drunk or, you know, it's, you can come up with ridiculous things. Uh, so I encourage people to go a bit wild. Um, and then the second round is then to look at your list and say, you know, if you be really honest with yourselves, are there any things on this list that you're doing at least to some extent or it, to some degree? And then people sort of get the, aha, uh -huh, actually, yeah, sometimes we do slack a little bit on that uh, you know, safety routine, or sometimes we're not great at collaborating or yeah, actually I don't do that. And, and then the final step is, okay, so what are, what are the things that you want to stop doing? So it's kind of making space for innovation 
what are the things we need to stop doing in order to move towards things we do want to do? And then my kind of second little answer, the one that I've been having fun with lately is a structure called Mad Tea, which is kind of like the Mad, uh, the mad Hatter's Tea Party in Alice in Wonderland. Um, but I did it with my colleague, Susan Basterfield, who uh, came with me to Seattle for the Global Gathering. She's based in New Zealand and works with Spiral. And she and I were leading a workshop with a group of monks in Kathmandu in January um, and some other volunteers from this uh, Buddhist organization. And we had decided we were going to do mad tea, but what we hadn't uh, planned for is that everyone spoke different languages. So some people spoke Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, English, Tibetan, and we were suddenly like, oh my God, is this going to work? Like, how, what are we going to do? Should we scrap it? And then we took the risk. We we're like, let's try it and see, you know, if you end up in front of someone that doesn't speak your language, just answer the question anyway and see what happens. So the process of Mad Tea is that you have a series of questions. You stand in two concentric circles and you have a really short amount of time, like 30 seconds each to answer a question. And then you rotate and you have a different partner in front of you. Um, and the questions are sort of designed in a flow that they get slightly more deeper and, and inquisitive. So, you're, so it's to stop you from thinking so much and so that you can access like a more innate, you know, wisdom or a different way of seeing things. And the participants loved it. Afterwards, they said it was great. Like, even though we didn't speak the same language, somehow we got each other or we could pick up on what the other was saying or we still felt connected. And also, I think when you don't hear someone else's answer first, it doesn't pollute your answer. So if you can't understand what they're saying, then you, you answer in a completely unfiltered way. So it was really uh, interesting. Uh, that's great. So I, uh, questions just popped up into my mind. Do liberating structures always have to be in a group situation or are there any individual-based liberating structures, like solo practice things? A lot of the liberating structures can be used solo. So Kathleen, who is one of the people who came to Seattle with us, uses um, liberating structures a lot by themselves. Um, they have, uh, for example, um, a practice of using the spiral journal, which is um, you fold a piece of paper into four and then you uh, draw a spiral as tightly as you can to focus and be mindful. Um, and then answer four questions. Um, so it's a, it's similar to Mad Tea, but um, it, it, on paper. Um, and what you might do with a group is uh, answer those four questions, and then you might say, have a conversation with your neighbour about something which is important to you. So you wouldn't necessarily suggest that they show them the entire piece of paper because there might be some personal stuff on there, um, but they might share a little bit. And Kathleen uses that as a personal practice regularly. That's awesome because we, we, we do this thing, uh, this exercise called uh, 100 Questions, which we ripped off of a chap called Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, it's incredibly powerful. It, you, you just compel, give people the time and the space to on their own catalog 100 questions that are meaningful to them. And by forcing the, the volume of that, it makes people phase from the, like the banal to the sublime. Um, and, and it's incredibly powerful. It's so stupidly simple, but tremendously powerful so it's quite cool now i'm happy that liberating structures is like something i can go off and practice on my own so i'm a newbie to the liberating structures world and you've now convinced me that this is um uh, a thing that i need to pay attention to and it's not um a, a culty thing that i should be scared of or a new management fad that's going to pass away 
So what is your uh, gem of advice as to how I can now go into this world and prosper and thrive? So my suggestion would be um, to join the Slack group because it's where the community hang out and they're just fantastic. They're so supportive. There is a, a channel called Wise Crowds and people all the time put um, questions in there or, or things that they're trying to achieve um, and a load of people will, will help them out with that. So I, and I just think it's fantastic. So that would be my first tip. Thank you. Uh, my tip would be, as, as Sharon said, I think the best way to learn them is to experience them. So either go to a user group or get together with a couple of people, a sort of safe space, perhaps where you can play around with them together. Or if you're feeling brave, you know, like I did, kind of blagging my way into it, just pick a time, a meeting, an occasion, and just pick one. You know, Keith and Henry often say, it doesn't really matter which liberating structure you pick to start with any liberating structure you pick is going to be better than a traditional microstructure. So learn by doing, fail forward, go in with a you know beginner's mindset and have a go and then get some feedback from people or reflect on what worked and what didn't and sort of just keep experimenting. A couple of years ago, I wrote a blog um, about, which is kind of my introduction to what are liberating structures and where can, how can I get started and what are some good ones to start playing around with. So I, I have a medium blog that uh, I often point people to as a starting point and it gives all the links to the book, the website, the app and so on and some sort of tips and things like that. So um, that's quite a easy first step, I guess, or starting point as well, I'd say. Great. So we'll have to get the link to that and add it into the show notes. It, you know, something else that we didn't really talk about or we did a little bit was is that um, because the, the patterns are there, because there's so much information, um, if you can, if you just trust that and do it, then you get a good result. And I think that's why they go so viral, partly because they're fun, um, partly because they do include everybody, and you know, so and people are not used to that. But also because it's actually really easy. So I ran a um, an introduction to liberating structures at Happy, which is another thing I should have really mentioned <laughs> um, with Henry. Stuart. Oh yeah, um, because there's another one coming up soon, right? In yeah, there's one in July. Yeah. So so. To d yesterday today and tomorrow there's an immersion workshop um that's going on in london so i should be there but i wasn't able to be there in the end um and then we're running these introductions for uh, every quarter for people um and henry said that he never gets so we were getting nines and tens in terms of um you know scores on the doors you know people um giving feedback and he said that he he normally doesn't get that. And he said that's because you can trust the structures. You know, you we just ran the structures um, and people got a lot from it. Mm. So my big takeaway is down with the microstructures and uh, up with the liberating structures. <laughs> well, traditional microstructures, yeah. <laughs> microstructures are just neutral. Okay. But... All right. So my big takeaway is down with the traditional microstructures and up with the liberating structures. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> you have been listening to Talcott from the Satori Lab. In this edition, Lisa Gill from the Leader Morphosis podcast and Sharon Dale from DXW were talking to Esko Reinekainen about liberating structures. To find out more about liberating structures, visit liberatingstructures.com or check out Lisa's blog post, What Are Liberating Structures on Medium. You can follow Lisa on Twitter at Disrupt and Learn, and you can follow Sharon on Twitter at Pixels, that's P-I-X-L-Z. 
There are many more links in the show notes for this episode on SoundCloud or on our blog. Music was by was Render by Prism, used under a Creative Commons license, and we'd like to thank everybody who shares their work under open licenses. We'd love to hear what you think about the podcast, liberating structures, public services, or really anything else. Talk to us on Twitter, at The Satori Lab, or visit thesatorilab.com to see all of the many, many ways there are of getting in touch with us.